It's Tom Bilyeu here. And if you are addicted to the relentless pursuit of greatness, then I've got something special for you guys. The Motivation Daily Podcast by Motiversity. It's your daily fix of motivation, inspiration, and wisdom featuring the best speeches and speakers on the planet. We cover it all. Life, business, relationships, discipline, purpose, mental health, sports, studying, focus, you name it. With exclusive speeches from heavy hitters like Coach Payne, Billy Allsbrooks, Marcus Taylor, Dr. Jessica Houston, Walter Bond, and more. If you're ready to take control, level up, or just crush your day, then Motivation Daily Podcast is your secret weapon. Search for the Motivation Daily Podcast and follow wherever you listen to amazing podcasts. You're listening to the Impact Theory Podcast, your source of empowering ideas and actionable techniques from the world's highest achievers. Join host Tom Bilyeu, serial entrepreneur and co-founder of the billion-dollar brand Quest Nutrition, on a journey to unlock your potential and realize your vision of success. Welcome to Impact Theory. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of AMA Live. I'm your host, Tom Bilyeu, and I'm here to answer your questions. I hope that you guys have a lot of them today. I want to dive in on this magically delicious Friday. And by the way, today's episode is brought to you by a brand new shirt, which is No Luck Needed. Now, oddly enough, I can't believe it, but this shirt has become mildly um, controversial, which is utterly startling to me. But nonetheless, while it is unquestionable that good luck can befall you, that bad luck can befall you, that if that's where you're focused boys and girls, you're in real trouble. So I will say to focus on the fact that you don't need luck is a very smart place to start because if you're counting on it, if that's part of your bet, if that's part of your life strategy, you're really in trouble. So as they say, the more you prepare, the luckier you get, which is another way of saying that it's about being prepared. So no luck needed. I'm sticking by it. There it is. If you want to get yours, you can uh, click the link in the description in both Facebook and YouTube. All right, without further ado, the first question comes from Adam Gray. And this is via the Connect Inbox. You say that the way you think about yourself and talk to yourself is important, but what advice do you have when the way you talk or think can mainly be negative? What advice do you have to change from a negative to a positive mindset? What things should you practice and learn? Okay, so first and foremost, the thing that you should be practicing and learning is how to flip that impulse that you have to think something negative into something positive. So you're going to use the negativity as a habit loop trigger to think something positive. So you're going to want to have those positive things about yourself that you want to reinforce ready so that you're not trying to think of something positive. As soon as you detect that negative thought, you've got your positive affirmations, as terrible as that sounds ready to go. So um, the 25-point bullet belief system that you can download at impacttheory.com is a great place to start. Many of the 25 are things you can literally just repeat to yourself. Um, and I find those to be super empowering in my own life. So I highly encourage you guys to get those, commit the ones that are meant to be said like that to yourself, to memory so that they're, they are there for you when you need them. Um, and then the key thing that lets me off the hook, the reason that I don't overinvest in my negative thoughts is because I know that while those negative thoughts serve me up to a point because they're going to make me aware of something that I might not otherwise be aware of, so I'm not trying to crush them down to zero. I'm trying to use them as that flip, but I do want to look at them first. I want to look and see what's really there. If I'm pointing out something that really is a weakness that I can shore up, and then from there, I use that as that jujitsu flip to get into the positive side of things. And knowing that doing and believing what moves me towards my goals is the most effective thing allows me to, like I said, let myself off the hook to not need to get into that loop of negativity. All right. Next question is from our boy, Seam Land. What is up, Seam? This is from Facebook. Tom, when I was at the Impact Theory house, indeed you were, I saw only highly motivated and efficient people. How did you go about creating a team of linchpins and how did you persuade them to come work for you when all of them could be doing their own thing? Um, this is an incredibly difficult thing to do. So I will say this very clumsily by stumbling into it, by losing a lot of people along the way to my bad leadership, having to figure out how to build a team because most of the team here actually started at Quest 
and I'll say that just over half, so it's about 55% actually, now that we've expanded. Uh, but the original team was entirely people that came with Lisa and I from Quest. And so they had seen how we work, they'd seen how I think, they'd been around it for a while. And I'll use a great example, Cindy, who I know is listening right now. That girl is hardcore. So in the beginning, I was, because I had so many employees, I did not have time, um, nor was I thinking about leadership and management, most importantly, the way that I think about it now. So I was just really blunt and really direct, which was brutally difficult for her in the beginning. But because she is a survivor type, because she just kept growing and learning and pushing and striving to get better, by the time that we came to Impact Theory, she was just on another level. So that is partly why, because what you're seeing are the people that survived. Um, and when you start from a survivorship bias of looking at the people who made it through, it's very tempting to say that you did a whole lot of things right, but I will say more than I did anything right, these were the people that were able to survive just how um, bull in a china shop I was. And so that gets you a certain level of hardiness, which is amazing. Um, so that's part of it. Now, the part that may be way more useful for you, I will say read principles by Ray Dalio, understanding that setting a very high standard is critical, then living up to that standard yourself by always setting the example. Um, and a big thing for me, and this, this is not I don't, I don't think he said this, I don't remember him saying this, but this is definitely something that I believe in. You need to outwork everyone on your team. You just, you need to make it abundantly clear that you're never going to ask them to do something that you wouldn't, that you're gonna be the first one at work, you're gonna be the last one going after it, that you're just going to go way harder than you expect them to go. And hopefully, you're able to get them excited, that you're able to make it abundantly clear that in this company, growth is what we're looking for, that we're not um, looking to beat people up for making mistakes. Mistakes are opportunities to learn. So taking from Ray Dalio's book, we have a thing called an error log that people put in things, mistakes that they made. And the point of the error log is not to beat people up or be punitive. It is to make abundantly clear that A, we don't tolerate hiding mistakes, and then B, we all want to learn from mistakes. So hiding a mistake at impact theory is just a cardinal offense, but learning from it is incredibly powerful and we want to foster that in the environment. So if you set a ridiculously high bar, you yourself are doing everything in your power to live up to that. When you don't live up to that, you certainly enter it in the air log, you don't hide it from people, you let them know exactly what's going on. When they see that, they're inspired by what you're doing and perhaps most importantly, they believe in what you're doing they believe in what you stand for, they understand the mission of the company, and they want to contribute to that in a meaningful way. And then they feel that they're, they have the ability to express and find their purpose through that. They have real meaning to the company. And then I don't think it um, is unimportant that we also offer ownership in the company to every full-time employee, and we offer um, profit share to every full-time employee. So there you have it. All right, next up, Andrew Kirby, YouTube. Do you believe in self-punishment? And if yes, why? I believe in this ferociously. This is advanced class shit. And I know that most people are gonna have a seizure when they hear me say this. But if you don't learn how to effectively, not destructively, because that's where most people go, they get into an endless loop of self-punishment, which is totally ineffective. But if you don't learn to punish yourself, you will never get where you wanna go now that needs to pale in comparison to the amount of time that you reward yourself. Now you need to earn that reward if you're just lavishing yourself with emotional praise and you haven't done anything, then I think that that will cheapen it, it will ultimately mean nothing. And quite frankly, I don't think you can really bamboozle yourself. I don't think if you try to praise yourself for stupid shit, I think some part of you knows you haven't done anything to deserve that praise. But when you set a bar, and you meet that or exceed that to then tell yourself, hey, you did it. You said you were going to do it. You did it. And that is worthy of praise. And getting good at praising yourself is incredibly important. And I think that most people have a very hard time doing both. Most people don't know how to effectively praise themselves. They don't know how to get themselves, first of all, to do things that are praiseworthy. And then when they do, they don't take the time to emotionally reward themselves, meaning you actually have to feel it. It can't just be intellectual. You've gotta actually feel that. And the same with punishment. If you say you're gonna do something, even if nobody's watching, 
and you don't do it, then you need to emotionally punish yourself. None of you will ever know whether I actually get out of bed in 10 minutes or less or not, but I say I do all the time. But every time I miss it, even if I miss it by seconds, I just gave myself the chills. Even if I miss it by seconds, I will punish myself for that because I said I was gonna do it and I didn't do it. So the fact that nobody's watching is utterly irrelevant to me. It has everything to do with myself. Now, the reason that this is important, the reason that I think that people need to do this is because that's how you shape your behavior. So like water over time can create, create the Grand Canyon or you can take uh, a polishing rock and shape stones. You can shape your personality. You can certainly shape your identity and shape your behaviors if you learn how to reward and punish yourself. I know a lot of people don't want to hear that. That is the truth of the human condition. Next question, Donna M. Southwood, Facebook. Hey, Tom, please share with us your meditation method. I want to incorporate a meditation practice into my morning but can't find a method that works for me. All right, here it goes. I stole it from a Navy SEAL. Um, he calls it boxed breathing. And I have modified it slightly. And the reason that I modified it slightly is I found that the way that he was doing it, which is a breath in four parts, all in equal time. So you do an inhale, you do an inhale hold, you do an exhale, and you do an exhale hold. And all four sides of the box are equal in length. Now, I found that that was displeasurable, unpleasurable. I didn't like it. It made me feel like I was out of breath and it was super weird, but I felt like, well, if I modified it, cause the concept of it was so beautiful in its simplicity that I thought, well, if I modified just slightly so that I don't feel out of breath, would that work? And I found that that worked powerfully. And I went from feeling like I was out of breath, totally unbalanced, like this is fucking weird, to all of a sudden, I do a um, relatively long inhale hold, or inhale, excuse me, a relatively short inhale hold. The most rapid exhale I can do, I literally just let the oxygen out, and then I do a very elongated hold on the exhale. I don't know why, but I find that intensely pleasurable. And so what I started doing was just trying to maximize the pleasure of each part of the breath cycle. Now, the important part here is that you breathe from your diaphragm. This is the single most important part of my meditative practice, breathing from my diaphragm. Breathing from your diaphragm triggers the parasympathetic nervous system. So you've got the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system, and they exist in what's called a negative feedback loop. It's like a seesaw. So one side cannot be up without the other side going down. So as you diaphragm breathe, like I just did, you will click yourself out of the sympathetic nervous system, which is known as fight or flight, and into the parasympathetic nervous system, which is known as rest and digest. So that seesaw mechanism is really the powerful part of meditating. And I have found in the absolute worst times of my life, meditation can get me back to zero every single time, meaning I have absolutely no physiological remnants of stress or anxiety. It is so amazing and so powerful that I only wish that I'd started doing it years earlier. And it was Mark Devine, the Navy SEAL that I was talking about before, that helped me realize, because I thought of it as very um, weak and effeminate, which growing up feeling like a weak, effeminate kid, getting tough and getting stronger has been a huge part of my journey. So I didn't want to do anything that I felt was moving me backwards. Now, he was the one that slapped me around and was like, look, it just makes sense. It's getting you out of that sympathetic and into the parasympathetic. And so I thought, well, if it's good enough for a Navy SEAL, then it's good enough for me. I tried it and it was life changing. And there have been times in my life since I started meditating, I honestly don't know how I would have made it through um, if I didn't have meditation because that ability to get back to equilibrium, to zero with what I call no background radiation. Um, it's so powerful. So Meditation has become a huge way for me to, to manage anxiety, which is really, really powerful. So there it is. And I will do one quick cycle so you can see how deadly simple it is. Uh, I normally sit cross-legged, so take that for what it's worth, but I'll do it just normally seated now. Uh, I do it with my eyes closed, and I breathe in through my nose, out through my mouth, and it looks like this.
Hey, 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 there it is. All right, nice and easy. Um, I did the second part of the cycle so you can see how long that I usually end up holding that exhale hold. Again, I just do it until it's not pleasurable anymore. I don't feel like I'm holding my breath. It literally just feels like an exhale. And it's so weird. Even in that short cycle, I almost forgot I was doing an AMA. Uh, that's how powerful meditation has become for me. I, I get lost so rapidly. If I'd had, this is the last thing I do when I meditate. I put headphones on, over-the-ear headphones, uh, and I listen to the Calm app. I do not do guided meditation. Some people love it. I absolutely hate it. And I listen to the sounds of nature, and I find that insanely powerful. And if I had had my headphones on, I do fear that I actually would have forgotten I was doing this. Uh, but that's how quickly you can, with practice, and I've been doing it now for about three years, um, with practice, you can get into a super chill state. Okay. Lindsay shoots. What kinds of things do you tell yourself when emotions are trying to overpower logic objectivity? Um, well... It depends on the scenario, but generally, the thing that I go to over and over and over and over and over is that I can learn anything. So I may not know it now. I may suck at it now. I may have just embarrassed myself now, but now doesn't matter. I'm going to judge myself through the lens of a lifetime, not through the lens of a moment. I can get good at this thing that all things fall to practice, discipline, perseverance, grit, everything, no matter what it is you want to do, all of those things will fall to that. If you put enough time and energy into growing, learning, developing, being willing to look at your weaknesses, your inadequacies, your failures, that is the source of power. So all of these things that I'm externalizing right now, they are the things that I repeat to myself. And for me, even more than it's a process of repeating something, it's a mechanism of taking action. And I find nothing remedies insecurity faster than action. Going out and learning, picking up that book, going and watching that YouTube video, whatever it is that you told yourself, hey, I can get better at this thing. Actually going and getting better at that thing. First of all, you get lost in the act of learning. And then second of all, you see, whoa, I actually am excuse me, I am getting better at this. And as you're getting better at that thing, that's going to reduce all of that worry and negative thinking and all of that. So believing that you can get good, to me, is the only belief that matters. The most important thing that you could do with your time right now, if you don't already, is to spend time showing yourself that you can get good at anything. And even if you can't do it with yourself yet, Prove to yourself that the human animal can get good at anything. And to do that, you need only look at the laundry list of people who were like, I was a total bozo when I was a child, and then I went on to do this. Because people's natural inclination is to dismiss extraordinary people, extraordinary talents, extraordinary accomplishments by saying, erroneously, they were born extraordinary. So as the great... Lisa Nichols once said, you don't get to make me extraordinary as a way of letting yourself off the hook. And I love that. And I think that that should apply to everybody. Don't make anyone else extraordinary. Not Beethoven, not Da Vinci, nobody. As a way of not having to live up to that standard. First of all, read Da Vinci's biography. It's insane how much work, energy, and effort that guy put into getting good at painting. It's, it's pure insanity. So same thing with somebody like Mozart, who everybody said, I mean, by the time he was 12, he was a genius, and he was playing for everybody. Yes, because his dad not only happened to be a piano teacher, he happened to be a piano teacher that specialized in teaching kids. So he started playing at the age of two. So by the time he's 12, he's got his 10,000 hours. But he didn't start writing original music until he was late into his teens and early 20s, by which time he'd been playing for almost 20 years. So focus not on people being born extraordinary, which honestly is totally irrelevant. There's The world is inundated with people that have talent and do nothing with it. On the other hand, if you focus on the fact that the human animal is designed from the ground up to be the ultimate adaptation machine, that's where I think people begin to flourish. Absolutely. Up, you're sure. Wow, we're pretty high. All right. 
Hector Salazar, Facebook. Any advice for somebody who is taking steps to make a positive change, but he is getting all kinds of negative consequences for bad decisions he took in the past? I really wish you were in the room so that I could pin you down and figure out exactly what you're asking. So you're taking steps to make positive change, which makes all the sense in the world. Do you feel that it's the steps to make positive change that are somehow tied to the negative consequences? That I don't really understand. So if you make a bad decision, there are going to be negative consequences. That's true not only for the past, but for the present and for the future. Every time you fuck up, it's a fuck up because something bad happens. So you just can't get caught up in that. So stop looking at any one thing acutely and start looking at over a very long period of time, could I do something? Now, let's say that the negative consequences are actually reputation damage. So as you try to claw your way out of the hole, people just keep piling dirt on you, piling dirt on you, telling you you're a bad person, that this failure of yours in the past, this wrongdoing, this horrible thing that you did, means forever you should be punished. That is a much more difficult hole to get out of. And I will say, I'm probably not the person to ask advice for that. I'll give you my logic, but I will also point you at, I'm gonna remember her name, Monica Lewinsky, who did a TED Talk, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, for those of you who don't know Monica Lewinsky, she had an affair with then seated President Bill Clinton, and she said that, that the way that people shamed her for that has really haunted her. Um, and she probably has some incredibly powerful advice on that. I can't remember it super clearly. Um, they say you don't remember what people say or what they do, but you remember how they made you feel. And I remember reading that or watching that video. I can't remember even how I experienced it. But the way that it made me feel was like, whoa, this woman has amazingly powerful insights into this. So I will say go check that out. Makes me want to go rewatch, reread. Um, now here's my logic on that. At some point, in fact, I'll just quote Lao Tzu, the guy that wrote the Tao Te Ching. Uh, he said, if you worry about what other people think about you, you will always be their prisoner. So unless you're prepared to be other people's prisoners at some point, if they're hurling dirt on you, if they're constantly trying to rebury you under the earth that you're trying to claw your way out from, then you're never going to get out. You've got to just stop worrying about what they think. So they can't actually affect you. They can only try to influence your mindset. So, and even... Even now, if people hate you, slings and arrows, you could get a job digitally. You could go be a freelancer on Upwork or whatever. People don't even have to know who you are. So truly in today's world, they are not gonna be able to stop you from getting a job, but they can really mess with your head, but only if you let them. So I will say to that, do not let them. You've got to understand who you're trying to become, believe in your ability to get there, to become that person, to understand that to continue to beat yourself up for something in the past is not going to serve you. And so for that very reason, let it go. And if you can and need to, make atonement if there's something that's haunting you internally. So atone for it. All right, next up, Curtis Hadziki, YouTube. How do you operate with the mentality to be the hardest worker in the room while still empowering your team to be the best at their position? This comes down to holding a standard, setting a standard, holding everyone to it, as well as just going all out for your own thing. And when you're not afraid to be criticized by other people, then suddenly it's not damaging to criticize other people. So let me tell you right now, Nicholas, our intern, if he sees me doing something that he doesn't think adheres to the ethos of impact theory, or he sees me doing something that isn't as efficient as it could be, or has any advice for me whatsoever, I want to hear it. I will not shut him down. I'm not going to glare at him for bringing it up. Nothing. You've got to foster an environment where criticisms can come from any direction, any level of the hierarchy, anywhere, anywhere. And if you fail to do that, then the organization is going to crumble. But if you actually are willing to take criticism from anybody, regardless of position, then suddenly you can hold people, you can push them, you can point out when they're doing something that isn't held to that standard without creating that resentment, without creating that bitterness. Um, that's the key. Hey, Tom, can you please speak about your visualization process? How do you go about doing it? I am absolutely horrible at visualizing. I don't know what it is. I actually consider myself a hyper 
visual person. I really enjoy and really respond to art, movies, just imagery. But for whatever reason, closing my eyes and imagining something, one of two things happens. Either I actually have a really hard time creating a concrete image of it, or two, I'll imagine it going wrong. This was something that haunted me as a kid. In Tacoma, there's ditches along the sides of the road, which don't really exist in LA. Uh, but in Tacoma, they're everywhere. And I used to imagine in my little head, because I was obsessed with a movie called Rad, that I was riding a bike along the ditches. And every time you get to a driveway, I would imagine myself on that bike doing a backflip. Now, every single fucking time I imagined that, the person crashed. Even as a kid, I was like, what is this? This, it, I still don't understand. That is so weird to me. So in visualizing things, for whatever reason, this may be unique to me or entirely universal, I have no idea, but I don't find that very powerful. Narrating, on the other hand, describing it in my mind, the crowd welcomes me, they wanna hear what I have to say, I rock the talk, everyone at the end stands up cheering. That's the kind of thing that I do. Literally, that would be what's playing in my mind, but I'm using the words, and so the visualization that goes along with the words is there, sort of vaguely in the background, but the thing that I'm really focusing on are the words. You guys know I have a very strict diet that I stick to, except for very special occasions, and I do that so that I can bring my best every day to what I'm doing, and a big part of that strict diet is high-quality animal protein and my go-to source of trustworthy meats and seafoods with no added hormones or antibiotics ever is ButcherBox. ButcherBox is a premium meat subscription service that delivers 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork raised crate-free, and wild-caught seafood all directly to your door. I cannot recommend ButcherBox enough. When you eat ButcherBox, you are giving your body the best possible building blocks to work with so you can reach your full potential. You've got to take care of yourself at a cellular level if you want to hit your peak consistently. So ButcherBox is the key. Sign up at butcherbox.com impact and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off, and that means you can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com impact and use code impact to choose your free-for-a-year offer, plus get $20 off your first order. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You will never be able to reach your full potential if you are riddled with stress and have a lot weighing on your mind. I can tell you from my own experiences with stress and negative thought loops, you have to find a way to work through whatever it is that's weighing on you if you're gonna have any hope of achieving your goals. Therapy can be an option for working through things and for an online therapy option that is super convenient and flexible, be sure to check out BetterHelp. With BetterHelp, everything is 100% online and getting started is quick and easy. A brief questionnaire matches you with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists at any time for no extra charge. Get things off your chest, process through things with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash impact theory today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, dot com slash impact theory. It's Tom Bilyeu here. And if you are addicted to the relentless pursuit of greatness, then I've got something special for you guys. The Motivation Daily Podcast by Motiversity. It's your daily fix of motivation, inspiration, and wisdom featuring the best speeches and speakers on the planet. We cover it all. Life, business, relationships, discipline, purpose, mental health, sports, studying, focus, you name it. With exclusive speeches from heavy hitters like Coach Payne, Billy Allsbrooks, Marcus Taylor, Dr. Jessica Houston, Walter Bond, and more. If you're ready to take control, level up, or just crush your day, then Motivation Daily Podcast is your secret weapon. Search for the Motivation Daily Podcast and follow wherever you listen to amazing podcasts. So there it is. Cody Montgomery, Facebook, what would you say to someone who has a ridiculous fear of failure and fear of rejection? This is what just popped into my head, and I would say go get really fucking good at something. I'm going to guess that you just don't have 
the confidence that's born of competence. So if you go spend the time, don't worry about whether anybody thinks you're cool or anything for like the next 10 years and just focus on learning something and becoming extraordinary at something that you really care about. Put your head down, fall in love with the work, fall in love with the process of getting better. If you do that, I think you will find that your fear of rejection goes away over time. So, because the only real answer to stop fearing that is either to recognize there's power in it if you're willing to learn from it, but no one wants to stay in that mode forever. So hiding in that is still the sense of, I can one day get out of this. I can one day transcend that, which is going to require you to getting good at something. So whatever it is that you're you know, forcing yourself to realize, oh, this failure is actually gonna teach me something, it actually has to teach you something and you actually have to get better at something. So the ultimate goal here, when I really think about it, is you've gotta get good at something. Go get good at something that you really care about and I think that even as you begin to take steps down that, it's not gonna be binary. You're not gonna be afraid and fearful for 10 years. It's going to begin immediately reducing in its severity and intensity. So that's my advice. All right, Fahad Solaria. How do I enhance my dark side so I can use it to reach higher levels of my craft? Okay, so like you can, decide to look at the beautiful things, the things you're grateful for, the things you're trying to bring to this world that are gonna be incredible, that are gonna help people buoy them up, lift their spirit. You can also focus on the things that you're fucking up, the people that want ill for you, um, the people that don't think you can do it, and you can place that firmly on your shoulder, that chip, and think about those people in a very limited amount of time. Because if you spend a lot of time there, it becomes corrosive, it will hold you back, it will actually stop you from succeeding. Your life will be filled with bitterness. And to have the energy that you need, you're going to need joy, excitement, okay? Those are gonna be the things that carry you through. But there is a neurological principle at work here. If you want someone to be able to endure more pain, you need only let them express rage and anger. So I don't know why we're wired that way, but we are wired that way. And if in very acute moments, you're not able to lean on Fuck you. I will not be held back. I will prove you wrong. I am going to do this. No one can tell me I can't. Not myself, not anyone else. And you embody that rage and that anger. Then, in acute moments where you need it and the beauty is not enough to get you through, you'll have what you need. But it comes down to thinking about it, obsessing over it in acute periods. So, take the time to think about it the people that want you to fail, all of that. Push yourself, let it kick you in the ass, let it hurt. Think about the times that you failed. Think about the times that you embarrassed yourself. Think about the times that people laid hate on you and then refuse to buckle under that. Aaron Reeves. Hi, Tom. I'm currently reading Relentless by Tim Grover and it is incredible. What is your advice for getting more aggressive in your goal, in your goal chasing, when I'm naturally easygoing and relaxed? Well, it looks like basically what I just ran people through, but I'll take a different tact here just to give some additional information. I think the plague, the scourge of modern times, things come easily, and because of that, nobody has to learn how to want. Nobody has to learn how to take that want and then turn it into a crushing need. Nobody knows how to take an ember, create a fire, and then a raging inferno. People don't know how to do that. They don't realize it's a process. They think there's something hiding within themselves that they need only excavate. And then finally, they'll have the energy to see things through. But it doesn't work like that. The way that it actually works is you've gotta to learn to build that fire. You've gotta to learn to create that want and then that need and then let it become an obsession. Once you are obsessed and you must get that thing you want, then you'll actually get it. But if you don't know how to build that kind of crazy burning need in yourself, you're just never gonna do it. You're not gonna have the energy to do it. Now, keep in mind, you don't have to want something like that. It's not a moral imperative. We live 
in an amazing time of abundance. So if you just want to relax and chill, by all means, take that path. I'm no longer the person you should take any advice from. But if that's the path that you want, absolutely. And many people, that is what they want. But on the other hand, if you want to play in a world stage, if you want to see just how much potential you can wring out of yourself, then that's the path you're going to have to walk to learn to create that burning need. Vinay Palaksha. Hey, Tom, I have been a failure all through my life. What, I, what do I have to do to restart my life and be successful? So here's the great news. You don't have to restart your life. So it's going to be a building process. And just right now, you're going to start building something new. So decide what it is that you want and then identify the steps you need to take in order to get there. So whatever it is that your particular failing is, you're going to need to identify, meaning failure of what you want versus what you've gotten. So in fact, I just read something on Mel Robbins' page today that I thought was ingenious. And it said, congratulations, you've survived 100% of the worst moments in your life. I thought, you know what? That's actually really true. So looking at your life as a failure, you need to flip it, man. Like, what, how, to use Tony's words, Tony Robbins, how's the worst thing that ever happened to you actually the best? Like, what have you learned from it? What are the things that you look at currently as failures that you could flip and begin to look at as empowering lessons? Things that you've learned from that while hurtful, you're glad you went through them because it gave you something, a piece of knowledge, uh, an internal fortitude, whatever it is that you are going to need in order to move forward and build this new thing that you want to build. So that's step one, just reframing all of that to making you the person that you are now, which is the kind of person that would ask that kind of question, which has enough self-awareness to actually build on. Like, you've got a lot going for you, a lot more than you think, but you're framing your life as a failure. And in framing your life as a failure, you will continue to see only failure in your life. So step number one, flip that. Step number two, goal. Get a goal, a very specific goal. Identify the steps. Model yourself after somebody. Walk that path and along the way, make adjustments to make sure that it fits your life. There it is. Charles Rowe. Facebook. What's up, Tom? I'm curious how you take lessons you've learned from books and then not only remember them, but implement them in your life. I try to use them immediately. That is my secret, that when I read something that's incredibly powerful, I want to talk to people about it. I want to put it into use. I bring it up to you guys. I talk about it in the AMAs, like the thing that I just talked about from Mel Robbins, right? Reinforcing it in my mind. So when I, um, from Mark Devine, when I learned about meditating, I didn't wait a month or six weeks. I did it that day. So taking immediate Action is the key. When you do something, that, those are the things that you're going to remember, but you've got to do them. So take action. Dr. Jack Callahan, YouTube. Do you have any advice for feeling unproductive and unsatisfied despite seeing more results? Ooh, yes, I do. All right, Dr. Callahan, here's the problem. If you're working your ass off and getting results and your motivation is going down, you're chasing the wrong thing, plain and simple. So find something that intrigues you, then engage with it. Then in that process, see if it turns into a real fascination, meaning it's giving you more energy than it's taking. That just doing it, being around it is fun, it's enjoyable. The harder you work, the more rewarding it feels. The very thing that you're asking is part of the process of finding the right thing to pursue because the right thing to pursue is something that gives you that energy, that makes you feel alive. Finding that thing, like this is something that I find, man, I don't know what happened if, if we just, in fact, I know exactly what fucking happened because this is exactly what happened to me and what I lost years and years and years and years and years of my life to. I was not careful how I defined success. And like a fool, I defined success as money. And so I chased money. And in chasing money, I gave myself over to it completely. And I chased it and I chased it and I chased it. And I took immeasurable amounts of pride in being able to suffer and endure and push far past what anybody else was willing to do for something that was eroding me and hollowing me out. Now, my willingness and ability to suffer is one of my most powerful traits. But... When I let that distract me from the fact 
that I was being robbed of energy, that I was being robbed of my sense of self-worth, my feeling of being alive, that became a real problem. So you need to be very careful how you define success. And I will say that success is fulfillment. Success is brain chemistry. It is not momentary happiness, certainly not entirely. It is a deep sense of purpose and meaning and well-being, that fulfillment, technique, the idea that you built this incredible set of skills that you believe in that was giving you more energy all along the way. And now it lives in service of other people. So find that thing. Find that thing that in, interests you. Engage with it. See if it turns into a fascination. If it turns into a fascination, go down the process of gaining mastery. And in that, it either will galvanize into a passion or it will dissipate. But if you follow that process, you can create that thing in your life that's going to give you the energy and not take it away. Orlando Ramos from Facebook. Hey, Tom, happy Friday. Happy Friday right back. What has been the darkest moment you've experienced since starting Impact Theory, personal with the company or both? How did you climb out of that? God, the honest answer is really dumb. And the honest answer is when we first started, I was having to deal with the IRS and I hated it so completely and I was joking about it so much, I don't think people really understood like how dark that was for me because I went from Quest where I had all of these resources and it was amazing and yay. And then I come to Impact Theory and there were seven of us. And I am a huge believer in do the things that nobody else wants to do, do the hard things. And that was a really powerful challenge for me. And even as I explain it now, I'm reminded of what I did psychologically to deal with it. I don't spend a lot of time in darkness. Like I really want to give you an amazing answer, um, but I don't spend a lot of time there. Less than 20%. So, um, but that was the lamest thing that I went through. But yeah, man, like even when I think about like horrible shit that I'm not willing to share on camera, even that stuff, I don't spend a lot of time in the darkness of it. It's powerful in that you get to see who you really are. It's powerful because you get to see your belief system at work. You get to find out if it's real. Like I can tell you this, everything I say on camera, I can say with as much bravado and aggression as I do because I've been fucking tested and like, oh, I wish I knew her name, in The Lord of the Rings, the character who holds the ring for a minute and she turns into basically a god only to then hand back the ring. And she, in that moment, realizes that she could be as powerful as a god. She could take over the entire world. But instead, she gives the ring back. She embraces that humility. I was tested to see if everything I believed about myself that I teach, that I preach, if it was real or not. And that's why, that was the, the moment that really let me step out front with aggression. So, yeah. I don't spend a lot of time in darkness. That's the punchline. In fact, I have to take myself there because it can be a powerful motivator, but I don't live there. So, I crawled out with the belief system. Yay. All right, Eric Lanou. Facebook, Tom, I love the way I feel on keto, but how would you adapt if someone whose job and lifestyle requires a lot of high-intensity exercise? Um, I think you're going to see in the coming years that being keto-adapted is probably far more effective for people that have to do really intense, long-duration stuff because you're able to leverage your body fat for that. Now, where it starts to break down, and we're, we're very much at the edge of my understanding here in terms of where this is gonna play out, but I'll give you my logic, this is what I'm thinking. So the early studies right now seem to indicate that even for fast twitch stuff, that you, it's either that you're able, you're using the stuff that's already stored in your muscle glycogen, or that you're actually able to get the energy out of your stored fat fast enough to keep the ATP performing at the level that it needs to perform. Again, 
where we've exceeded my level of like real knowledge. So somebody in the feed, like if they really understand and can link to like an article or something, that'd be amazing. Um, but the stuff that I read, certainly for ultra long distances, seems like it's all leaning towards ketogenic people performing better. Um, the only thing that I'm a little weak on is like, what would it be if it were ultra, like a sprinter or something like that? I don't know if people have looked into that too much yet. Um, so I'll stop there. I don't know enough to keep going. Uh, but yes, I, I will be very intrigued to watch this play out in the coming years. All right, Nicole Page, YouTube. Hey, Tom, I'm curious what your thoughts are on quantum mechanics. This is amazing. Again, we're going to be way outside my realm of real understanding, but I love talking about this shit. Uh, I know you've spoken about conflicting thoughts about the law of attraction, but what about the science-based research? Um, so I'm going to say that the law of attraction is 50% amazing and 50% total bullshit. And so I don't think there is any science-based research on the total bullshit side, which is the like, I'm just going to think and something is going to come to me. So yeah, that, that just like, even with quantum mechanics, which is largely about probability, which has nothing to do with essentially prayer, which is where that side of the law of attraction breaks down, which is like, hey, I just want it. I'm just thinking about it, and therefore it's going to happen. I, I don't think that that is in any way, shape, or form um, aligned with what we know about quantum mechanics. Now, we don't understand all of quantum mechanics yet, but I'll give you a for instance. I don't think the brain is so powerful that it can get the what seem like right now random probabilities of, not random probabilities, but like just vanishingly small probabilities of something happening like me walking through this wall. Now, at a quantum level, from a quantum probability perspective, if I walked into that wall enough times, I will eventually, all of my uh, quanta will jump at the same time to the other side of the wall. It actually will happen, like speaking at, at a mathematical probability equation. And Dr. Michio Kaku, who I just interviewed, I can't wait for you guys to see that interview, the dude's fucking fascinating. He said, there actually is a quantifiable probability that all at once you will teleport to Mars. Just from a quantum event perspective, that, that actually has a mathematical probability. But he said, it takes longer than the lifespan of the universe. So um, that's about how I think about that, what I'll call the bullshit side of um, the law of attraction. It, it actually, there is a mathematical probability that I could sit here and think about a pizza and then boom, a pizza will appear in my hands, which would be fucking rad. And I really wish there was a quantum event where I could eat that pizza without getting fat. But there is a probability, a, a quantifiable probability of that. But I don't think it has anything to do with me thinking about it. So I don't think that me thinking about it makes it more probable. I think the laws of physics gives it a mathematical probability. All right, I find that I really want to keep going on that, but I'm going to stop there. It's way interesting. I don't know nearly enough about it, but wow, it's fascinating. Jace Bellerin, this is from YouTube. Tom, how do I tell the difference between a falling game, a failing, a failing game plan and a game plan that just hasn't won yet? I hate this question so fucking much. And it's going to be our last question. Do you know why I hate this question? Because it's so fucking hard. This is like that secret thing I never wanted anyone to ask me. And you motherfucker. All right. So uh, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you an answer because this, this is so important to figure out. Okay, you've got to be able to get good at taking what you know about life, watching other people and what they're doing, um, the current moment that you're living in, and being able to ask and answer the question, what's the probability if I execute against this well that I'll succeed? And what's the probability that I'll be able to... Um, figure the changing sands out as I go and get to the end? And what's the probability that I will have the energy and effort to keep going and get to the end? And maybe most importantly, do I care enough about this that even if I'm wrong and I never get to the end, and it is a failing game plan, that I had fun doing it, okay? Those are the important things to ask. Now, Brian Johnson, who we also interviewed, and his episode's gotta be dropping soon. Um, it hasn't dropped yet, right? Okay. So uh, that dude, so fascinating. And he said, look, if you've been given the task of programming a robot to cross um, a thousand miles of sand dunes, rather than 
plotting, teaching it how to go from point A to point B far and, you know, traverse all the obstacles far better to teach how to deal with shifting sands, because that is the only thing that you can guarantee it's going to have to deal with. Cause as soon as it starts moving, the terrain will change, weather will change it, everything. So even if you map out the terrain exactly and teach it how to overcome all those obstacles, the second it starts, it actually influences that. So I think that as we're going, the, the main thing, the most important thing, and I'll, I'll get really concrete because I think about this with comics. All right, there's no fucking money to be made in comics. You literally have everybody going into the world of comics, which is one thing that we're doing. And it's just an incubation thing to get to the um, to get to film and TV, right? So it's like R&D. Okay, so if I know that I'm competing for shelf space in stores with, by the way, people at the store level are doing it as a hobby. They don't necessarily care about making a massive profit. So they aren't even acting like in a normal way from a pure profit motive perspective. And the companies aren't making the books from a pure profit motive perspective. It gets really fucking weird. So it's like, okay, can you be successful in that? Like, is my plan and my method to go into comics as an R&D to get to film and TV, is that gonna work? What do I have to do? And so I look at that and I play out the scenarios. Okay, scenario one, I am able to at least break even. Okay, this is how we play out scenario one. Scenario two, and I guess this is a long way of saying that because it can be really hard to tell if you've got a bad game plan or a game plan that just hasn't worked yet, I try to play out the multiple scenarios so that I can look for telltale signs of which is which, and I can lean onto uh, another one, jump from one lily pad to the other, if you will. So uh, you're constantly running these probabilities like, okay, um, I don't know enough right now to know. So right now I think that I can crack the nut and become profitable or break even or maybe even profitable in the comic world. I'm arrogant enough to believe that I see and understand something that other people don't see and understand. But... I know how likely it is that I'm deluding myself. So I'm constantly like checking as I go, okay, uh, the, the six things that I thought were gonna make me successful as I do the first one, did it work? And if it didn't work, fuck, like try the next one. If that doesn't work as well, at some point, I'm probably thinking, okay, that's not the right lily pad and I need to jump to something else. So I'm moving multiple things forward right now to give you an idea. So we've got things that are like, okay, that rely on the comic world as R&D. And then we've got other strategies over here that don't rely on that just in case I'm wrong. Okay. That's so fucking interesting. Um, thank you for asking that question, even though I hate it because I don't think I have a super powerful answer because it's so like, there's nothing anyone could have printed out off of that other than, I guess, um, always be checking to make sure that you're right and not delusional, um, have multiple paths to make sure that you're going down. Um, those are big ones. And then making sure that even if you're failing, that you're having a good time so that at the end of the day, eh, at least you had fun. Okay, with that, I'm gonna wrap it up. Thank you for that question. No one's ever forced me to like make that concrete in my own mind. Uh, and that's just the beginning. That's something I should think a lot more about. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining me. This is always amazing. May you work your asses off this weekend, but at things that you love. So get after it. Enjoy your weekend. Remember, go pick up the No Luck Needed shirt right now at impacttheory.com. Uh, you can actually go even more direct than that. Shop.impacttheory.com. Thank you guys so much for being a part of this community. This community is fucking amazing. I appreciate you guys more than you know. All right, share this if it adds value. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. Hey everybody, thank you so much for listening. And if this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, rate and review us. That helps us build this community. And that is what we are all about right now, building this community as big as we can to help as many people as we can deliver as much value as possible. And you guys rating and reviewing really helps with that. All right, guys, thank you again so much. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.